Habakkuk chapter 3. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Kushan in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Onwards swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and the moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. You crushed the heads of the wicked and stripped their bones from head to toe. With our own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. Habakkuk chapter 3. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountain. All right. So, thank, you know, I'm kind of, on one hand, I'm a little bit lucky because I got the third chapter. I'm like, at least things take a, a bit of a turn for the good, you know. Like, Habakkuk has been in a pretty, a pretty dark place. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you guys have been there. Maybe you're there right now. I mean, to be honest, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of junk <laughs> going on in our world right now. And I don't know how much of it necessarily is affecting you right at this moment, but I, I recognize that there is stuff 
going on. The other thing that I recognize too is that unlike Habakkuk, I've had a fairly easy life. I really have. Sure, I've had sadness in my life, I've had difficulties in my life, but if I'm honest, this book to some degree is a little bit difficult for me because I've never faced the kind of tragedy, the kind of difficulty, the kind of pain in some ways that, that Habakkuk is facing. Injustice from the people who, who are supposed to love him. I mean, sure, I've experienced that on, on a minor scale. Like, just complete betrayal. Sure, again, on a, on a minor scale, I've experienced that. I, I've experienced, you know, different things, but not, not like Habakkuk. And not like what's coming to Habakkuk, right? Because Luke had, you know, I, I suppose the fortunate, the unfortunate privilege of, of preaching for a chapter two, which is, it's, it's difficult, right? I mean, Habakkuk, when he learns what God is going to do, that he's going to send the Babylonians, Habakkuk's response is, are you kidding me? And he does that for a reason. I mean, with good reason. I mean, Luke explains, these are not nice people, and they're going to do some really not nice things. And Habakkuk is facing into that reality. And yet, as we come to the end of chapter 3, what we find is Habakkuk praising. We find in chapter 1, Habakkuk going, God, what are you doing? To the end of chapter 3, where Habakkuk says, I can stand on the tops of the mountains like a deer because you, you give me your sure feet. And I will praise you. What happens in the in-between? And we talked about in the first week, is it that Habakkuk in chapter 1 has no faith and by the end of the chapter 3 he's like full of faith? I don't think so. But Habakkuk goes through a process. A process of spiritual formation, I think, where God, through the crucible of life, through the reality that, life, uh, that, God, that ends up happening to him in life, God takes him from a place of faith and of questions and brings him to a place of faith and questions where he can still find his feet on firm ground. So what, what happens? Because God gives him some answers, but God doesn't fully answer the why question for Habakkuk. He answers the how, but he doesn't fully answer the why question. But yet, the answer seems to certainly be satisfying enough to Habakkuk that he comes to a point of trust. And I think many of us desire, I, I hope anyway, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, I mean, I know I do, and, I, and I, like I said, I hope for all of us that we desire a closer relationship with God. I mean, I, I feel like most of us wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be here if that wasn't the truth. That at least on some level we say, I, I want to know God. I, I want to know him. I want to be known by him. I, I, like, I'm here. And yet, the lived reality for many of us is that we still feel like I'm not really any closer to God. I don't know if you guys have been there in those moments where you're like, I, I mean, I want to know God. I, I think I want to know God. And yet, we feel like God still isn't all that present. We still find ourselves feeling distant from him. And we don't understand why. Why we don't hear his voice. Why we don't feel close to him. And I think 
what we really want, what we desire is a, some sort of, sort of breakthrough of some kind. It says like, okay, I, I need to get pushed through this wall. I, I need, I, I either need to, to experience God or like, you know, it leaves me questioning like, well, God, does God exist? Have I made it up? Is it just like, you know, like a figment of my imagination? Are the atheists right? Are they, you know, like, like, I don't know. It leaves us in that tension where we're like, I've got to push through. I need to experience God. I want to feel God. Yet so many of us are lived reality is that like, kind of do the thing, but I don't really experience God. And I think Habakkuk, though, he's in this place. He has faith. He's showing up. He trusts that God is, is good. And that leads him to question, God, where are you? Why? Why am I not hearing from you? And so I think what Habakkuk gives us is a lesson on how to find sometimes the breakthrough that we're looking for, how God wants to work and to move in our lives, how God wants to meet us in our lives. And so I think this chapter of three is so important for those of us who want to draw closer and closer to God, to know him more and more, to be known by him, to experience him, to hear his voice. The problem is, is this, this is not the way we want to go about getting to know God, right? <laughs> Yet, for Habakkuk, Lament is the place that he finds his breakthrough. Lament is the place where Habakkuk finds God on a whole nother level, where he hears from God. Lament is the place where he grows to the point spiritually where he's able to say, God, you are sovereign. Okay, I trust you. And so we tend to, I think in, in our culture, we tend in our lives, we tend to avoid or to ignore the things that are difficult, right? We want easy everywhere. I want to be able to microwave my relationship with God, right? I don't, I, I don't want to put it in the slow cooker and wait for it, you know, like, I, I want to push the button and 30 seconds later, I want to have it, you know, like, like, but that's not what Habakkuk does. Instead, Habakkuk, he leans into it. He does that, which is like counterintuitive, right? Instead of like running away from the storm, he actually just holds on tight and leans into it. Instead of avoiding and ignoring the difficult, he leans into it. And so should we. Because here's the thing. We need to acknowledge that there is violence in our world. And I'm going to say this, that is the experience of every human being of two things. And I didn't necessarily mean for them to rhyme. I did not try and do this on purpose, but violence and silence. Okay. And I actually tried, I tried to think like, is there a way I can make this not rhyme? And there probably could if I worked harder, but then I'm just like, so what? Okay. So violence and silence. And these are the two things that Habakkuk is dealing with here, right? It's violence done towards him. It's violence done towards other people that he cares about. It's the injustices of life. It is violence that he deals with. And all of us deal with that in our lives to some degree or another. When somebody hurts you, when somebody takes advantage of you, when we see around the world people being taken advantage of, we see that there is violence in this world and it leaves us going, God, why? And we talked about in week one how the most tragic thing of all is that the church is sometimes a place of violence and how we need to lament that. We need to lament the fact that sometimes the church has become a place of deep hurt for people. 
And we recognize then for all of us that there is a level of violence that we experience. We acknowledge that, that we have experienced it. And maybe even it's important to acknowledge that sometimes we participate in it. And then we need to acknowledge the times then when God has seemed silent. Because if you've been a Christian for very long, you've had those moments where you prayed and you just felt like, maybe I was just talking to the ceiling. I don't know that I've heard, I hear God. And this is what Habakkuk is dealing with. God, why? God, how long? <laughs> And after he gets a, some of an answer to why, and, or not necessarily why, but at least how long, then his, his question becomes, them? Are you serious? And then it's Habakkuk chapter 3. After he's walked through 1 and 2, after he has dialogued with God, he has laid out his grievances to God, and God has re responded to him. We find chapter 3. We find Habakkuk getting that breakthrough. He experiences God in the silence. He remembers God's past faithfulness. And he praises God in faith. And so here's the thing. Just like Habakkuk, I believe that God wants to move in your life. That God wants to speak to you. That God wants you to know him. And so for many of us, it may be this process of dealing with the fact that we experience violence and silence in our lives. And so how then do we hear from God? And as I said, I think it comes in this idea of experiencing God in the silence, remembering God's past faithfulness, and praising him in faith. So if you'll remember just quickly where we've been in the book, right? Habakkuk laments the faithfulness of God's people. He laments their injustice. He laments their rebellion. And he asks God, why aren't you doing something about this? How long must the righteous suffer? God answers him. God says, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to punish those who are taking God's name in vain. I'm going to send the Babylonians who will, with my permission, and my will, take control of Israel and lead them into exile. That is not the answer Habakkuk wants, right? Not the answer at all. That is the exact opposite of the answer Habakkuk wants. And Habakkuk laments again. He laments the fact that God is raising up the most ruthless, wicked, evil people that to that point the world had ever known to come in and to capture the Israelites. That in a sense, what God is doing, and he's lamenting it, is that God is releasing his hand of protection and saying, you want a life without me? How do you like it? There you go. In order to bring the people back to him. Right? And so Habakkuk laments. and He's like, God, you got to be joking me. And God answers him again and says, no, I'm not joking you. But God will restore his kingdom and Babylon will fall into insignificance. The kingdoms of this world, as much as they think they're great, will fall. And those of us sitting, you know, 2,500 years later can go, yep, I, there's no Babylonians controlling me. 
There's no, uh, there's no Medes or Persians. There's no Rome, you know, Greece, Rome, Kingdom of Spain, you know, whatever. I, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, the, like, we can say like all of these empires, the British Empire, even, you know, like we'll get to Easter, you know, we'll celebrate those, that sort of thing, right? So, all right. Um, so one thing Americans and the Irish we have in common, we can celebrate that we're now no longer under colonial control. Um, but, but yeah, like. You know, it's one of those we see throughout history, the empires fall. But yet, you've got plenty of people in, in America who don't think that the empire is going to fall. <laughs> but it will. Because that's what happens. God's kingdom is the one that lasts forever. And so, God says he will restore his kingdom. Babylon will fall into insignificance. Woe to those who rebel against God and go their own way. Who, instead of living as human beings, allow sin to turn them into beasts. And God says he's going to do something about it. Now, like I said, then we come to chapter 3. And this is where Habakkuk stands humbled and says, I trust you, God. But on what basis, then, does he, does he find this hope? And this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, at four things, I think, in chapter 3 that Habakkuk does, that Habakkuk experiences. And we're going to fly through these guys. Now, what I will say is we're going to go into more detail when we start our series on spiritual disciplines, okay? We're going to go into more detail on every single one of these, right? But the first thing we see is that Habakkuk has spent time in prayer, and like I said, we don't know how long Habakkuk prayed and didn't hear from God. But he kept praying. And eventually God meets him. And when he doesn't get an answer that he likes, does he stop praying, get mad at God and walk away? No. He keeps praying. He leans in and he pushes into God even more. And so we find then that prayer is so important because spending time with God creates the space needed for change. It's the space where God meets us. It's the space that we need in order to change. Change is not usually instant. It happens over time. Just like any relationship. You're not going to know God, every bit of God and the ins and outs of God the first time you pray, or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time. But just like any healthy relationship, you get to know the person the longer you do it, right? And prayer is one of those places. And we know Habakkuk doesn't just pray any kind of old prayer, right? Habakkuk is very upset, and he prays prayers of lament. Lament, then, I think, is a space. When we're praying prayers of lament, it's a place where we slow down, Right? When you're in those moments of feeling like completely just overwhelmed with fear and anxiety or overwhelmed wondering what God is doing and you decide to pray and to meet God in that, are you thinking about a whole lot of other things? Like, are you thinking about what you're going to eat later? Are you thinking about, no, like, like in the moment of grief, in the moment of pain, it consumes you, right? And it's that moment then to take that which is consuming you and to sit with it, but not alone. To sit with it with God. So we slow down 
We name the brokenness. And we bring that brokenness to God. We don't pretend it's not there. Prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. And we bring our brokenness. And not just our brokenness, but often the brokenness of the world. And we bring it before the Lord. How long and why are really important questions in our relationship with God. Just briefly reminded from our week one that lament is not complaining about God. It is complaining to God. Now, you may complain to God about God. You know, Habakkuk kind of seems to do that. Like that's, but the difference is I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, you know, Alyssa to complain about, you know, somebody else, right? I'm going to God. Like, you know, I'm not complaining about God to Alyssa. I'm complaining about God to God, right? Like, that's the difference between the lament, right? And so we find, like, like God accepts Habakkuk's lament. No problem. You want to come to me with that? Like, bring it on. Like, I'm happy to meet you in that. Where God gets angry is when the people of Israel complain to one another about God, right? You know, that's where God kind of goes, oh, hold on a second. You didn't talk to me about this. Like, let's stop the complaining. And like, you know, like, and so there's a difference there. And I think it's an important distinction that lament is not complaining about God, it is complaining to God. And so, as we lament in prayer, as we pray, it pushes against our world's false positivity, I think, first, first and foremost. Right? Our world is one of like false positivity. Am I, like, am I wrong? Like, I don't think so. I think our world is one that like, you know, good, sending good vibes to everybody. Like, we're all like, you know, like, let's just be positive. Anything like, you know, hey, somebody brings up something negative, let's kind of shove it away. You know, even though we bring up all this stuff, like, you know, people can talk about their problems or their mental health issues and all of that. Maybe, maybe. Um, I'm not entirely convinced. We say it, but I'm not entirely sure we actually do it. Right? Because I think as soon as somebody kind of has a problem, we just kind of want to shove them in a corner somewhere and forget it's actually there. Right? And in a world of false positivity, lament drives the church to see the way the world actually is. To see that God created the world good, but it's broken. That our world is broken. There is something to lament about our world. It is broken. And we are awaiting the redemption that can only come from God. And that's what Habakkuk recognizes in chapter 1. He comes to God complaining because he knows God is the only one who can do something about it. And so you and I, we bring our complaints, our difficulties before God, and we lament them. Lament then opens us up to God's response. Habakkuk teaches us that God does actually respond to our cries. Just as parents respond to their children's cries. Habakkuk responds, like God responds to Habakkuk's cries. He hears him and he responds. Habakkuk laments. And that lament, those cries, end up being the doorway that God uses to open Habakkuk to deeper relationship with him. Deeper into the mysteries of God. And so he prays. But one of the things that I find really interesting is probably one of the things that in our culture we find most uncomfortable, that we find Habakkuk talking about. Three different times, I think Habakkuk talks about silence. 
about standing silent before God. Now that sounds counterintuitive, right? If God is silent, why on earth would I stand silent before God, right? So the two of us can just stand there and not talk? Like, right, you know, like, I just need to keep talking until God speaks, right? Until God responds. And Habakkuk says in chapter two, verse one, he says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Now, it doesn't say he's silent, but I think we get the idea. He's like, you know what? I'm going to hang out here and I'm going to you know, cross my arms and just stand here and wait for God to, say, God to respond. I've made my complaint. All right, God, your turn. But he gets very specific in chapter 2, verse 20. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. So in other words, God is the one who is on the throne. God is the one who is over all. He's the one who's in control. Let all the earth be silent before him. Recognizing that God is actually the one in control. And while it is important that you and I speak to God, it's equally important that we stand in silence before the holiness of God and we wait for him to speak. In chapter 3, verse 16, Habakkuk says, I trembled inside when I heard this. Isn't that kind of, I think it's kind of funny. He's like the one writing the song, right? He's like writing a song about who God is, which we're going to get to in a moment. And after he gets done writing about who God is, he's like, it's all of a sudden he's like, I trembled inside when I, when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. In other words, he says, all right, I will listen. I will wait. I'll stop complaining. God, you've said you'll do something about it. I trust you. And so silence and solitude are important for those of us, for Christians. It is in the silence that God responds and meets Habakkuk. And it is in the silence before God that Habakkuk finds peace. We need to spend time in silence before God. So do we take the time to be quiet? Because we live in a world of constant noise, of constant busyness, of constant on to the next thing, that it becomes very difficult to stand before the Lord in silence. I've just got to get my list in, my complaints or whatever, and then I'm done and I'm, I've got other things to do. But it's important that we don't bypass that, that we don't short circuit this and take time to listen. Then we remember. We remember what God has done. This is a big chunk of Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, starting in verse 3, all the way to chapter 3, verse 15. Habakkuk is remembering who God is. Now what's interesting is we would think that because Habakkuk is writing about how God rescued his people. Oftentimes, when the Old Testament talks about how God rescued his people, and even the New Testament, it brings up the Passover, the Exodus, God bringing freedom to the people. Like, right? It starts with like, hey, God brought us out of Egypt. I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 6 commands that, that, God, that God's people remind each other all the time about how God brought them out of Egypt. 
But what's interesting is that Habakkuk is looking at this same painting that Moses was looking at in Deuteronomy. The painting of God's redemption. You picture a painting hanging on the wall, a big one, like maybe the Ascension here by uh, uh, Van Dyck. Right? And so you picture, you're looking at this. Now let's, let's say instead of, uh, instead of uh, the, the Assumption of Mary, because you know, it's, okay, it's Christmas, you know, so it's, this, is, this is actually a really interesting painting when you look at it really close. I know it's blurry and you can't really see it very well, but just trust me, it's really cool. Because there's so much going on. And the biblical authors, they look at the painting of redemption up on the wall, and so often they focus on the Exodus. That's, that's what they focus on. But like this painting, if you look really closely, all of a sudden you find that painted on the floor. Right? There's another story. There's more to this picture than meets the eye at first. You have to look closer, and then you find David cutting off Goliath's head. And you know, you're like, what does that have to do with the, you know, with, with God, you know, announcing that Mary was going to be pregnant through the angel? Right? If you're looking at this picture, what you do is you go, oh, yeah, Jesus is the greater David who came to slay sin and death and make a way for us, right? Now, let's go back to Habakkuk. He's looking at that painting of redemption, and he chooses to take this little floor panel in the painting of redemption. And instead of the exodus and people leaving Egypt, he's actually writing about how God marched to Egypt to rescue his people, that God heard the cries of his people, that God... It was like, I'm going to do something about it. He focuses on that corner of the painting that most people kind of in the Old Testament don't focus on. It's a really cool element of Habakkuk, right? It's this beautiful part of the story of redemption that most people don't picture, and that's this, that God heard their cries. And he said, I'm going to do something about it. And he moved to do something about it. So what you find is these... When uh, this is this is how you kind of see it, right? So, my my version says Edom and Paran. Your yours may say something different. What the New Living does is kind of it's the same place. It is Paran. It is Edom, even though they're using different words for it. And so the New Living and trying to make it a little less confusing does that. But your your version probably says what is it? Um, does your say Paran? Does it? Say, what is it? Right. Um, Timon. There you go. There it is. So anyway, there you go. So, um, but it's the idea. If you actually look at it on a map, you're moving towards Egypt as you read it. You're not moving away from Egypt. You're moving towards Egypt. God heard the cries of his people and he wanted to rescue them. And we remember that. So Habakkuk is inviting us to remember that God heard the cries of his people, that God is sovereign and he did come and he rescued his people out of Egypt. And so we remember that, the story of redemption. Habakkuk's remembering then led him to reframe the circumstances that he was in and to interpret them in the light of God's past faithfulness. So what Habakkuk does is he uses what he already knows about God to interpret his current situation. You and I need to do that very same thing. We need to do the very same thing. We need to know our Bible, not just because it's nice to know facts of information, but when we're going through the absolute worst situations in our life, where we're going, why God? Where we're going, how long God? It is important that we remember the past faithfulness of God. How God throughout his story has been rescuing his people. 
has been calling us to relationship with him. Active remembrance of God and his work that is recorded in scripture becomes then like the horizon with which we see and understand our world. We interpret the world through God's faithfulness. And it's not just his past faithfulness in scripture. It's important that we remember God's past faithfulness to us. Because in difficult times, we often forget how God has been faithful. All we can think of is the immediate why God isn't answering me now. But we remember God's faithfulness to us. Remembrance comes as we remember God's faithfulness in Scripture and His faithfulness to us and our lives. We remember what He has done for us. And most fully, we see what God has done for us in Jesus. The story of redemption that we find in Jesus. Now, last thing, we praise And it's important then that we ask the question, what are we choosing to love? Where are we giving our allegiance? Because it is to that that we will worship. Now, we've talked about that probably ad nauseum from up here. And the reason is, is because this is really important. We praise that which we love. We praise that which we desire. We praise that which we give our allegiance to. And so what we find is Habakkuk then, after he remembers who God is, after he has prayed his prayers of lament, after he remembers who God is, he then sings with praise to God. What are we choosing to love? We live in a culture that wants to short-circuit straight to happy praise. Right? I mean, how many songs? Honestly, as somebody who looks at songs that we sing in church on a very regular basis, there aren't a whole lot that like talk about, you know, maybe the themes of Habakkuk. Those are hard to find because we live in a culture that doesn't want to deal with that. Do you know how many of the songs, I was listening to Johnny Cash's My Mother's Hymn Book. It's the last album he actually made before he died. Um, and that album, I think every song nearly deals with the topic of death. How many songs do we sing in church to deal with the topic of death now? Not any, basically. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not picking songs to deal with death. I, I'm guilty here. You know, I'm not you know, excluding myself and saying all those people out there. I mean, me too. But Habakkuk chooses to praise in spite of the difficulty. And his praise isn't, isn't happy praise, is it? It's praise but I'm not going to say at the end of the book that Habakkuk is happy. It's not like one of those stories from like sadness to happiness. It's like from sadness to sadness, but, there's a, but the sadness has changed. He's no longer going, God, why don't you speak? He's going, God, I trust you. We live in a culture that wants to short circuit straight to happy praise, but lament is a process of spiritual formation that in the end leads to praise, but a deep and real praise, a sacrifice of praise, maybe even if you've ever heard that praise chorus. And again, I've always thought it's odd if you've ever heard that song, that it's like a really happy tune. We bring a sacrifice of praise. If you haven't heard it, you're welcome. Like, I'm, you know, but actually, maybe, I mean, I should say, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's, there's a reason we probably don't sing it on a Sunday. However, the words 
are powerful. We bring a sacrifice of praise. And maybe if we did it in a minor key and really slow, it might be a better song, a more appropriate feeling to the song. Because sometimes praise is a sacrifice. And I think for Habakkuk, it was. He was staring into the face of the fact that God was going to bring the Babylonians, that his entire world was going to come crashing down. He was probably going to be living somewhere else if he even made it out alive. And yet, he praises. Okay, God. I trust you. He's able to cry, God, I trust you. Not after the tragedy, but in the midst of the tragedy. We cannot underestimate the power, I think, of singing in our pain and in our joy. Because singing to God turns us away from ourselves and it points us towards God. Suffering and hardship bring about a form of spiritual formation that is only possible in our most difficult moments. There is something about difficulty and pain that brings us to the feet of Jesus. <laughs> and this deep type of spiritual formation is worked in us through suffering and trial. It doesn't mean we go looking for it. It'll find you. I mean, that's the, re that's the reality of the world we live in. You know, it will find you. But it does mean that we don't ignore it. We don't cover it up. We're trying to fast track our way out of it, but we allow God to bring breakthrough in and through it. Breakthrough comes as we trust and we submit to God in faith. As we give out as we give our whole selves to him, we receive the breakthrough that we've been longing for. Because that's what happens. Like Habakkuk has given his entire self to God, trusting God. Jesus came and he lived a life of suffering and of hardship. And he died lamenting. Yet, he did it so that you and I could experience fullness of life and joy forever in the presence of God. And so you and I, we wait in the painful in-between where Jesus has come and he's defeated sin, he's defeated death, he's defeated suffering, he's defeated pain, and yet we wait for the fullness of that completion. And we wait in faith. If you want breakthrough, it comes by coming to Jesus. Really coming to him. And learning to say, along with Habakkuk, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation because the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread on the heights.
If you need prayer, let somebody pray for you. I'm happy to do it. But I don't have to be the one. But if you need prayer, let somebody pray for you. If you need to give your life to Jesus, maybe again, <laughs> do it. He offers what the Babylons of this world never can. Peace. And peace no matter the circumstance. Now we're going into a time of communion. Communion reminds us then of the God's saving work. Of God's saving work in the past. And the reality of God's saving work in Jesus. And so we're called to remember as we celebrate. It's one of the reasons we do communion every week. It's a time of remembering. Remembering who God is. Remembering what he's done. And it's more than just an intellectual exercise. We taste and we see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.